0: I was very surprised to um, meet Margaret and Jacqueline a couple of uh, months ago, a year ago now, actually. Um, we were in Belfast at the Irish Society of Gynae Oncology, and I was given my um, usual, I suppose, sermon about the fact that there were very poor um, facilities across the country for women, in particular, uh, living after um, cancer, and Jacqueline, pulled me aside and explained to me all the things that have been happening down here, uh, all on a voluntary basis, um, to what sounds like an amazing community uh, activity. And I was absolutely amazed, because I can tell you what the list of services that Margaret has just outlined there are not available to the majority of women and men who are living with, um, with cancer, or who have are recovering after having treatment across the country. Um, And I can only applaud all of you who are involved in that for providing such a, you know, it's a a truly remarkable um, service, not only the practical side of things, such as bringing people into Galway for radiation, but much more so the holistic issues around um, complementary therapies, uh, lymphatic drainage, um, psychological support. Uh, those are the things that are really missing around the country. So I think it's very important that you know, people understand what a unique service you have here. And I suppose as you continue to build it, it's a very unique um, and very valuable thing for people going forward. So when I give a talk at a scientific meeting, I always, you have to give disclosures about what do you do, who have you got money from. Um, so uh, have you any conflicts of interest? Well, I have no conflict of interest. I have no... Um, Interactions with Merck—I've never got anything off Merck, but I do have a conflict of interest, and mine is um, that I have four children, um, and I will vaccinate my four children—my um, three girls and my boy. Um, so, because I'm telling you this, doesn't mean that I'm telling you one thing and doing the other. We're going to—I'm going to—I'm absolutely certain that our kids will all be vaccinated, and I hope. By the time they're finished in 20 years time they will not have to worry about cervical cancer and other cancers the center i suppose is all about people living with cancer and what we're here to talk about today is preventing cancer um uh, but um as vicky just said there it's a uh, cervical cancer can not only be prevented it can actually be eliminated and um there are quite a number of us who feel that by 2030, um, cervical cancer could be a disease of the past. Um, and that's a very unique position to be in for cancer, because virtually every other cancer is actually increasing because of the fact that the biggest risk factor for cancer is age, and um, we're all living longer, and therefore we um, we will see more cancer That's that's without doubt, and of course, uh, as time goes on, and it's probably happened in some parts of the world, um, cancer will become the leading cause of death. Uh, for those of you, like most, still in most parts of the world, the leading cause of death is heart attack, stroke, blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. Uh, but very soon, in particularly in the Western world, cancer will overtake that. Um, so to be in a position to actually have the opportunity to eradicate a disease is um, a very unique position to be in, and um, uh, in many ways a very privileged position to be in. And it's a multifactorial thing, but uh, cervical cancer is a, um, uh, I suppose for want of a better word, it's a disease that is much more common in uh, the developing world. So every year about 550,000 women develop cervical cancer, cancer of the neck and the womb, and almost three hundred thousand women a year die of cervical cancer around the world. And most of those are—they're mo- all mothers, nearly. Some of them are, may have been, may not have had children. And um, many are die in their between the ages of thirty and fifty and leave family behind. Um, and of course, in many parts of the world, there is no there is no access to radiotherapy, surgery, or chemotherapy, and they die sometimes very horrific uh, complications. And um, in Ireland, we know that 300 women a year will get cervical cancer, and about 100 women a year at the moment will die of cervical cancer. Um, And again, 50% of those are under the age of 50. So they're women at the prime of their lives. They're probably doing multiple jobs uh, their, their, their work job, their home job, they're keeping a family together and then suddenly they get sick. Um, so I suppose it's very important then to understand that this vaccine can change all that um, and it's, we're in a very unique position that uh, we can actually afford the vaccine. Uh, there are many countries where there are as a far higher incidence of cervical cancer that cannot afford the vaccine there's a lot of work being done internationally to try and get the vaccine into those countries. I suppose it's very important, not to be overly kind of dramatic about it, but to be thankful to the fact that we do have the opportunity to use this vaccine. Hepatitis, or human papillomavirus, is a wart-causing virus. So when somebody has warts in their hands, or verrucas, that's human papillomavirus. Um, but there's about 120 strains of HPV. Um, a small number, maybe 13 to 16, some would say 20, uh, cause cancer. So the vast majority of HPV uh, does not cause cancer. Um, and uh, that's important with regards to understanding how the vaccine works. And what we know is that when a person, get, a person will get infected with HPV uh, through any sort of um, skin contact uh, during intercourse, um, during oral sex or during anal sex. And um, the, once that happens, the vast majority of people get rid of the virus themselves. Their own immune system kicks in and it, exclu- it, it, it pushes out of the body. But in about 10% of people, um, the HPV, that little tiny virus that you know nothing about, doesn't cause warts, that type of H the type of H that uh, causes cancer doesn't cause warts it's a silent disease uh, it sits there in the skin on the cervix and over a period of possibly 10 to 30 years it causes changes in that skin in the skin cells in the cervix which then can develop go on to develop into cancer now not every person who has persistent HPV infection, infection will develop cancer in fact only a small percentage will um, and basically, when we talk about cervical screening, what we're trying to do is pick up those small number of people who have persistent HPV infection. And when we look at the smear, when we, look at the, when we take the smear test, and when every woman goes for a smear test from 25 onwards, uh, what we find is that um, the, uh, this, the changes that we see in the cells are as, are as a result of persistent infection with HPV. So, as you know, when somebody has an abnormal smear, they will be sent generally to a colposcopy Clinic for an an assessment, they might have a biopsy done, and they may take a, um, uh, they may have a procedure called a LETS procedure where part of the cervix is removed. Uh, If if you remove that area and you remove the the problem, the vast majority of those people will not develop cancer. a lot of people, a lot of very intelligent people, some of whom won the Nobel Prize in 2008 for this work, came up with the idea that, can we not take a step back? Can we not stop the infection in the first place? Can we not vaccinate people so that when you are exposed to the HPV, you have antibodies which basically go and they eat it up, they get rid of it. So you avoid all this problem happening in the first place. And that's what HPV vaccine is, vaccination is about. Um, whilst there's a lot of e- emphasis on HPV causing cervical cancer, it doesn't just cause cervical cancer, it causes at least seven cancers. Um, and remember I said about 300 women a year get cervical cancer, but we think about 550 people per year in Ireland get cancers that could can be attributed to HPV. Um, and they are, uh, the majority of those are cervical cancer. Um, that's gonna change, I'll explain that in a minute. But there are also vulval cancer, anal cancer, penile cancer. And then, what's happened over the last number of years, which has been very interesting, is there's been this massive increase in um, oropharyngeal cancer, particularly just at the base of the tongue, or in the tonsil. Um, and that's increasing very rapidly in young men. Uh, and the, the problem with that is there's no tests, there's no smear tests, there's no screening test. Um, and that can be a very, very um, difficult cancer to treat, requiring very extensive surgery, radiotherapy, um, and if it has spread, it can be quite a very, it can be quite an aggressive cancer. And just to show you, um, in Ireland, this is cervical cancer in 1994 up to 2014, and you can see there that in uh, 98. Um, there was a drip drop down, but it has been increasing slightly. But since we've got our screening program in place, it started to fall, but of course, we've also started to bring in our vaccination program. So cervical cancer rates are falling in Ireland, year on year, to fall about 7% per year. Um, but we could rapidly increase that with a vaccination program. And we know from England, which has, who's, we only had a screening program for 10 years, which is very, um, Immature screening program. Uh, England have had a proper screening program for about thirty-five years, and we know that they were only about—they were only really able to reduce their rates by about seventy percent. They weren't able to get it down to zero with cervical screening. But what we're seeing, particularly in Australia, um, and in other places, is that the combination of screening and vaccination is starting to push that incidence of cancer down to zero. And that's why we believe that you can get rid of it with—you can eliminate it. Um, this is the other story that's important, and that's going to come into my, why I'm talking to you in a few minutes. Um, uh, this is um, oropharyngeal cancers, so the base of the tongue. And it's only about probably five or six years ago that we became very certain that HPV was a major player in this area. But what you can see here is this cancer is going up at a rapid rate. Um, and it's estimated in the US that in about five years' time, this will be the most common HPV-related cancer. Um, and if it's going to happen there, it's going to happen here too. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to talk to you. In a minute we're interested in vaccinating boys uh, because of the ongoing increase risk, increase in this cancer. So why vaccinate? Um, so again. There's a cancer story, but the cancer story is the tip of the iceberg, particularly for, for cervical disease. What's underneath here is all the pre-cancers. Um, all of the women who, who have an abnormal smear, who have the stress and the anxiety associated with that, who have to wait to go to a colposcopy clinic, who then have to have a biopsy done, who may have had to part of their cervix removed, um, and then may have to go for many more smears afterwards. Um, that's the other big area. And that's where people kind of forget about how important vaccination is. Uh, a woman who has um, a number of LETS procedures has an increased risk of having a, ba- a premature baby. Uh, she has an increased risk of infertility. Um, and she has, of course, that ongoing anxiety about whether she will develop cervical cancer in the future. Now, her risk is low if she remains within a screening program. But it's very hard to quantify what that anxiety is. And you know, when you talk to women who have to keep coming back for these smears and these tests, it's very serious. So the, the idea that just concentrating on the cancer alone, as from the vaccine point of view, the vaccine doesn't just stop cancer, it stops the precancerous cells too, and all the stuff that goes with that. And then obviously, you've got these other cancers that we talked about. Um. So uh this is, what we've, this is what the WHO have said. Um, this is the director of the WHO, the World Health Organization. We can eliminate cervical cancer as a public health problem through intensified vaccination against HPV screening and treatment. So which country would you think is at the forefront of this? Any ideas? Sorry? Yeah, everybody says Australia. So the country, of the, f- the country most likely to eliminate cervical cancer first is Rwanda. In 1994, Rwanda was the poorest country in, in the world after the genocide. And they have developed the most amazing vaccination program, not only against HPV, against all other communicable diseases. Now, a lot of that has been down to huge investment, particularly from Bill Gates. But it's also been down to, ha- that's only a tiny little bit of it, it's been down to how the communities and the society have worked to accept that and to implement vaccination. Not just against HPV, but against all the other diseases, all the other infectious diseases I spoke about earlier. And I suppose if Rwanda can do it, surely we can do it too. Um, and uh, I think that's there's a lot to be learned from how these societies have come together to do this because um, you don't, you, if. I as a doctor, or Vicky as a nurse, are telling people about vaccination. It'll only get so far. Everybody else has to buy into it too. I do more work on the football pitch, and the hurling pitch, and the hockey pitch on vaccination than I do in my, um, in my office or in my operating theater, because that's where I get asked the questions. What's the story with this vaccination? Well, that's a great goal. you giving your kid the vaccination. This is how it works. Um, And if we can change as a society and and begin to accept that this works, we will have our rates up, as Vicky said, to 80 90% very quickly. Um, In Scotland, where they've had a very good program for about 15 years now, last year they did 50 LETS procedures in the whole country in one year. In Dublin, every week, there are about 80 LETS procedures done. That's how vaccination and screening can change women's lives. And I'm sure there are women in the room who've had a LETS procedure and they know how uncomfortable it is, or their friends have had it. And, that, and I'm sure that's, what, that's the only way people will get to understand it. So, what's the real life consequence of cervical cancer? And I'm not going to scare you too much, but this is a 26 year old lady who came into to me uh, 18 months ago. This is her MRI. This is her uterus here. This, all this area here is a, is a big, huge cervical cancer. It was, a, it was about eight centimeters, nine centimeters. This is what we call a PET scan. So anything that lights up orange is uh, cancer. So these are the lymph nodes. On the inside, these were all positive. Uh, she was a beautiful girl. Uh, she lived about nine months. Um, she was 26. And that happens to me every week. Um, we see women every week who we, uh, who we can't do anything for. And I'm going to introduce you to one of them. Some of you will know her in a few minutes. Uh, but it, that's, the sto- that's the reality of cervical cancer, and that's why I'm here tonight. Um, just a little bit about the vaccine itself. Uh, this is Ian Fraser. Um, uh, Vicky said that I, I worked in Brisbane. I worked with Ian in Brisbane. We worked together. Ian developed the vaccine. He's a Scottish guy. The Scots didn't think much of him, so they threw him out. He went to Australia in the 70s and early 80s, and uh, he's become a very important person. Ian uh, spends his time now in the third world um, vaccinating. He actually had given the vaccine in the third world. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there about what's in the vaccine. The vaccine has no active particles in it. What Ian did, which was very interesting, was the, vac- the vaccine is, in- is encapsulated in a thing called an L1 capsule. It's like, best, the best way I can describe it is it's, if you think of a kinder egg right? and you have a toy in the middle, you know the little yellow thing that you get the kinder egg in? The toy in the middle is, is the virus, and the yellow thing is the capsule and Ian figured out a way of making the capsule without the virus. And that's what's in it, that's what's in the vaccine. And when you inject that into people, it fools your body into thinking you're infected with HPV. And then you develop antibodies against it, just the same way as that if you get the flu once next in November, you'd be very unlikely to get the flu again in um, January or February, because you'll have developed antibodies against it. Does that make sense? This is what the vaccine does. The vaccine fools your body into thinking you've been infected with HPV. You develop these antibodies, which then, if the the HPV comes in, the antibodies go and they eat it up and it's gone. Uh, So Ian um, developed that technology and there were three vaccines. Um, The first one uh, was was just against two forms of HPV, so Virex, it's no longer made. the second form then was against four forms of HPV, Gardasil, Gardasil, which is the one we use nowadays. And it's 16 and HPV 16 and 18 are the cancer-causing, or two of the most common cancer-causing uh, uh, types of HPV. And then 6 and 11 are the ones that cause genital warts. And they were included in it at the time, and they're still in it. Um, and what we've seen, particularly in Australia, is that there's very the, yeah, genital warts, you do not see genital warts in the vaccinated population. So it's a, like a sh- it's a way of showing that the vaccine's working. And then, as I said, there's about 13, or between 13 and 20 other v- uh, types of the virus that cause cancer. So what they were able to do was make the virus, or make the, make the, um, the vaccine, uh, I suppose, even better by adding in five more subtypes that cause cancer. So the current vaccine that we're now using in Ireland is the Gardasil 9 vaccine. Um, so, it protects against the two ward forming types, 4 and 11, and then 5 uh, of the cancer causing types. And whilst the Gardasil 4, which had the two types of HPV that cause cancer, 16 and 18, we thought that would protect against about um, 70 to 75% of cervical cancers, the, uh, the Gardasil 9 would probably protect against 85 plus. Um, and you're starting to get down to the level then where it's going to be a very rare disease. Um, Vicky uh, mentioned there about our, our schedule. I was delighted to be able to change this slide last, when I was giving a talk like this a couple of weeks ago. Um, as of this month, we are now va- offering the vaccine to boys and girls in um, first year. Uh, we give two doses six months apart. And the reason for that is that if you're under 15, we've been able to show through different trials that two doses gives you the same protection as three doses, so it's easier to get. Uh, and that's because the younger you are when you're vaccinated, the better the, impact, the better the impact it has on those antibodies, the more antibodies it produces. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that we want to get people vaccinated before they get exposed to HPV. If you have HPV, this will not treat it. So if a patient comes in to me and she has had HPV, the discussion about whether we should give her a vaccine is totally different to this situation here. So we want to, give the pe- want to get the vaccine into people before they become sexually active. Um, and that's why first year and secondary school is, was picked as an area where we could get as many people as possible. Um, there's a couple of reasons for vaccinating boys and girls. Uh, the most important, in my opinion, is the stigma attached to just vaccinating girls. Um, We call it gender-neutral vaccination. Um, I think anybody would agree that uh, if there's a way, that one way of actually getting vaccines into as many people as possible is to vaccinate everybody. Uh, We do know that the boys are the vectors. So, you know, the the boys are the people who give the the HPV to the girls, generally. Um, We also know, as I said, that this oropharyngeal, this tonsil cancer is becoming a big problem. Um, And it also goes back to the idea of herd immunity that I spoke to you about with the measles. The more more people who are vaccinated, the better the coverage is across the community. And vaccination is, I suppose, not only about yourself, it's about your community. So it is a very selfless, altruistic approach to medicine because if everybody gets vaccinated, or if 90% 90 of people get vaccinated, everybody gets protected. If one percent of people get vaccinated, well, that one percent, one person might be uh, protected, but has no real impact on the population as a whole. Um, That's just to say that best time is at eleven to twelve, and uh, as I said, that's why we vaccinate boys. Um, uh, The the stroke, the the throat cancer story is very important. It's going, it's becoming a bigger, bigger problem, Um, and there is no test for it. Uh, So it's important. So does it work? This is one of the big questions. Like does it, we've been pushing this, like what's the evidence to show that it works? Uh, And the first thing is that even though we've been um, doing this now for 12 or 14 years, we still don't have a study that shows exactly that, if you ask the question, does HPV vaccination reduce cervical cancer rates? We don't have it because the vaccinated cohorts aren't old enough yet. So we can't say that. But what we can say very clearly is that if we look at the vaccinated cohorts, the infection rates are coming down to zero. So this is a data from Scotland, seven years, from women born in 1998 up to women born in 1995. And what they showed was the women born in 1998, they were virtually all unvaccinated and the women born in 95, 86% were vaccinated. The Scots were very good at getting their vaccination program up and running. And what they showed was the HPV 16 and 18 prevalence rate, the percentage of people who were infected with HPV 16 and 18 went from 30% of 20 year olds, these were all tested at 20, in 1988, down to 4.5% of women born in 95. So there is no doubt that the vaccine stops infection. We have that information. The next question is does it, does it reduce precancerous changes? Does it reduce abnormal smears? And the answer is it does. And this is from Australia. And basically, this shows when they brought in their vaccination program. And these are the two groups who would have been vaccinated. And look at those lines going way down. And these are all people older who weren't vaccinated. And you can see the lines are going up. So the incidence of abnormal smears is plummeting. But it will take another possibly 10, 12 years to get the data to say the incidence of cancer has, re- has reduced in the, um, in the vaccinated cohorts. The big issue is, is it safe? Um, the bottom line is that this is the most studied vaccine in history from a safety point of view. Um, it's been studied by the European Medical A- uh, Agency, the WHO, and multiple other agencies. There are literally thousands of pages on the safety data. There have been suggestions that it has been associated with things like um, chronic fatigue syndrome, with other things like uh, region, pe- chronic regional pain syndrome, uh, with postural hypertension. Um, but when we look at the vaccinated groups and, the un- and people who are not vaccinated, the rates of these are the exact same in both groups. So the problem is that there is, in in the age group that we're trying to vaccinate, that's a tiny proportion of girls in particular will get these problems. Um, So at the moment, we have given over 200 million doses worldwide. There's been extensive um, capturing of all these adverse side effects. Like every medication, there are potential side effects. One in 10 will get a sore arm. About um, one in 100 will uh, get a temperature. Uh, One in a million is what what they've described as the chances of having a severe anaphylactic reaction, uh, which you can get with any medication, particularly any vaccine. So it is our feeling, and we're constantly monitoring this, that the HPV vaccine is safe. We are always monitoring vaccines. um, There was a vaccine a few years ago that caused a problem with narcolepsy, where people were falling asleep very quickly. That vaccine was withdrawn. There's a very clear and careful assessment of vaccination and all medications going forward. So in Ireland, we did very well at the start. Um, And when we brought it in in 2010, we got our rates up to 80% very quickly. In 2009, 2008, there were people marching under government buildings to bring this vaccine in. Uh, Mary Harney was Minister for Health, and there was was a huge, I suppose, public outcry to bring this vaccine in. Um, As a result of uh, some social media campaigns, in about 2015, 16, there was a major fall off in this vaccine. vaccine. We've put a huge amount of work into restoring public faith in the vaccine. And I have to say we're very lucky because we're one of the only countries that has done that, that has managed to reverse that trend and bring it back up to 70 or 80%. Um, This is Japan. Japan brought in vaccination in 94 and got it way back up. Um, In 2000, there was, a couple of videos posted online, which have been shown to be, I suppose, false for want of a better word. And the medical profession withdrew support for the vaccine. And nowadays, vaccination rates in Japan are way less than 1%. Japan is one of the few countries in the Western world where cervical cancer rates are increasing rapidly. Um, So, Denmark have had a problem, and they're starting to turn it around. Um, England, Australia are doing well. Scotland are doing exceptionally well. In the US, in certain parts, they're doing very well. In other parts, it's more difficult. Um, but it is something that you know we always need to be working on. In Ireland, I suppose, we were extremely lucky, and Margaret and I got to spend some time with them um, Laura Brennan. Laura was, I'm sure you all remember Laura. Uh, Laura, I have to admit, became a very close friend of mine. Uh, She wasn't a patient of mine, which she pointed out on regular occasions. Um, But Laura Laura is now held up worldwide as being one of the saviours of this vaccination program. And her brothers, Kevin and um, Fergal are actually presenting today at the World Vaccine Summit in Brussels about her legacy. And what I thought I might do was just show you, some of you may have seen this video, um, I hope it comes across. So Laura had a stage 3B uh, cervix cancer, she had a 2B cervix cancer, it was a very advanced cervix cancer. And she she had chemotherapy and radiation as treatment, she wasn't suitable for surgery. And she was an amazing young woman. Um, she was only 24 when she was diagnosed. She hadn't had a smear test because she wouldn't have qualified for one because the rate of cervical cancer in that age group was so low. Um, sh- she would have uh, said, told everybody herself she wasn't the greatest student. Um, at her funeral, one of the gifts was a detention slip, uh, <laughs> which she was very proud of. She, uh, um, but she did um, develop cervical cancer, which recurred quite quickly. And she actually contacted the HSE herself. She decided what was she going to do for the uh, ca- HPV vaccination. And um, I meet her mum and dad regularly at different meetings there, And her dad always says, I don't know how she got me involved in this stuff. But they are a very quiet, normal Irish couple who had no interest in this sort of publicity. Um, but Laura dragged them into it. Um, and uh, she was very open about the fact that she had incurable cervical cancer. Um, she had different types of treatment. She had some palliative chemotherapy. She was very clear. I think Margaret, you would remember her, the way she spoke. Uh, she had an amazing voice. Uh, she And she was so honest that she would Pick up things. She was an immensely intelligent lady because she she could actually speak better about anything than any of the cervical cancer stuff than we could. Um, but her clear her clear message was that if she had got the vaccine, she would not have got cervical cancer and she would still be here today. Um, and I think she came up with most of these sayings herself. But her 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 um her punchline was uh, get the facts, get the vaccine. Uh, that wasn't a marketing thing. That was Laura. Um, so, if any of you want to um, fi- find out more about Laura, it's on the website, um, and she has a there's an RT documentary on being um, uh, uh, shown on Monday. I think it's nine o'clock. Um, but she was an amazing lady, and that's why we turned it around. And that's, I suppose, one of the reasons that we keep going today. So, HPV vaccination protects against seven types of cancer. It's a safe vaccination. We know that they vaccinate, we need to vaccinate people early um, to get that antibody response to, so that it actually works.
1: Whilst it has all
0: these cancer issues, it's the pre cancer, it'll, it'll have a much greater effect, and far more people will, will realize as they see the fall off in pre cancerous lesions. We can, I suppose, eliminate cervical cancer if we get it right. So, if you don't want to listen to medics, and I would, under, if people don't want to listen to medics about vaccination, uh, listen to Laura, listen to the women who have the disease who are advocating because, and as she says, to the best life you can, living the best life you can, vaccinate your kids.